Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, and welcome to an episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Today's guest is Luke Jernigan. He is an ordained priest in the Episcopal Church. He has been with the same congregation intermittently for several years now, and he operates as the director of family learning at the Matter Family Office. So I am going to be pummeling him with a few questions about not just what he does at Matter, but I'm very curious about that, but how his work and how his learning as an Episcopal priest brings an element to his work at Matter that he wouldn't otherwise bring. So welcome, Luke. Thank you. Good to be with you. Good to have you. So, Matter Family Office, can you give us a little bit about what Matter is, just so that the audience has a frame for this conversation? Sure. Matter Family Office is uh, it's a multi-family office. Uh, we have families that are clients around the country. We help people with uh, investment management, wealth planning coordination, and what we call family learning and culture. And you are the director of family learning and culture, basically, correct? You got it. Okay. So this is a new area brought to family offices, as far as I can tell. Um, and I'd love to know how it rounds out what they bring to the field. What does somebody who is responsible for family learning do with the family office? So we several things. One is that we help families that are multi-generational business owners uh, or families that have sold their businesses and are still invested together, work together in philanthropy and other uh, areas. We help them through our family culture and learning programs learn how to communicate effectively, uh, identify their values, vision, and purpose, uh, work through family conflict, make decisions together, uh, and ultimately we give them the tools so that they can thrive over generations. Wow. I mean, all families could benefit from that, whether they're multi-generational, wealthy, just it would imagine, I would imagine that having a unified sense of purpose and direction for a family could create a context that is different than families operate without that kind of conversation. Is that right? Right. It's funny. When I talk to my wife at home about what I'm doing at work every day, she says, there's nothing unique about families of wealth with what you're offering. Uh, I, I do think that wealth and, and business creates a greater complexity. Uh, but no, what, what we're doing is universal. I, I think every family uh, needs it and can benefit from this type of work. Totally. What what are the areas that are generally covered in communication strategies? What kinds of things do we learn in that realm? 
one things one of the things we talk to families about uh, really what we do is not different from what a lot of businesses do uh, with um, organizational or management structures teaching people how to communicate one thing is learning that individuals communicate uh, uniquely uh, some people uh, are, are more visual uh, some people are more um, uh, learn better by reading or, or hearing. But the idea is that sometimes when we say something to another person and they might react in a way that's more negative than what we have thought, we think that they're judging either us or what we've said. And the reality is they might just communicate differently and the way that we have conveyed that information might not be in the way in which they're most comfortable receiving it. So as we teach people how to communicate effectively with one another, we're learning, sometimes teaching that in order to communicate something effectively, we have to understand how the other person uh, uh, thinks and receives information and adapt what we want to say or what we want to convey in a way that they're gonna hear it as comfortable for themselves, not the way that's gonna be comfortable just for us. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. It isn't just about the delivery of the message. It is about the receiving of the message. And so we have to look at both sides of that equation, I would imagine. Yeah, and ultimately, too, uh, it's about empathy and realizing that, you know, when we're in relationship with one another, uh, especially as family, uh, that those relationships are deepened and, and improved when we begin to see things from the other person's perspective, uh, not just our own, and it opens us up to the, the thoughts and ideas of those around us. Uh, and, and it allows the entire family system to be much healthier. Yeah. So let's backtrack just a little bit about your work as a pastoral counselor. How, how does that differ from secular counseling, for instance? Well, I think one of the big differences is that in a church, people are coming to me uh, mainly to talk about problems that they have, or struggles that they have, often as that relates to their spiritual context. Uh, so a better way of saying is how that relates to their relationship with God. However, in a pastoral context, a lot of people end up coming to me for, uh, for matters that are a little less church-related. It could be uh, 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 spouses who, who are feeling some tension or parents struggling with kids or kids struggling with parents, uh, uh, siblings struggling with each other. And the last church where I served uh, for seven years was unique and that it was in a community here in St. Louis. Here in St. Louis, we I'm not from here, but I've learned the joke is, you know, people don't ever really leave. Um, so at the church where I was serving, there were some families who were members of the congregation where I knew four generations, or in a few cases, five generations of a family. Uh, on a regular Sunday, you see kids parents and grandparents all coming to church together. Uh, and often the, the extended family of siblings and others were there. So to be a part of uh, 
the, the life of extended families gave me, it was a wonderful gift and perspective. And another thing is in, in a lot of the churches where I've served, uh, I've been a pastor to families that are very similar to the families that we help at Matter, uh, where they do own businesses together. They are invested together. They, um, they see each other every day in the office uh, and then at the dinner table on the weekends and, uh, and, and at all the holidays and everything else. And there's some families I've, I've known really well where that added component of uh, family business or, or family wealth has brought them together uh, over generations and in wonderful ways. And other, other, or other families where the tension is, has, has caused too much strife and pain. So one of the things that drew me here to this work at Matter is learning this very creative way and this really kind of burgeoning new industry uh, of helping families specifically uh, with, with the challenges of family business and family wealth. And what kinds of tools do you use to help families? I would imagine that you're using sort of some assessments or developing a rubric to help them. What kinds of things are you using? So, uh, I don't want to get too much into specifics. I, I don't want to give away all of our secrets, but we do use uh, a series of communications assessments. Um, but also one of the great things about Matter is that as a multifamily office, they've been, they've developed a lot of tools over the last 20 plus years that they've been using regularly with families. And one year into my work here, I'm, I'm working with, um, with the team here, learning exactly how those processes work. Uh, but we use uh, processes around, again, building values, vision, and, and, and purpose, uh, wealth integration, uh, uh, kind of understanding money messages and relationships with money in particular, uh, and where sometimes those have been generated in the family or, or over generations how they teach us and, and how we uh, either embrace them or change them or adapt them. So I'm going to ask a tricky question or what I think is a tricky question. What are some of the themes that you see for a family that successfully navigates wealth or family business and multi-generations? What are some of the themes you tend to see? I think the families that are really successful in doing this uh, are the ones who are open. Uh, they are open to really, really listening to and hearing the ideas of extended family. Uh, often you have a family with parents that have, that have started a company or created the wealth that the rest of the family uh, benefits from. The families that we work with tend to be very proactive. They're coming to matter specifically because they see uh, our approach around uh, uh, culture and learning as a way to solve problems before they exist. Um, so they want to be able to uh, teach their kids um, and not just about like the mechanics of uh, in investing and, and earning money, but 
uh, or the or the mechanics of the business, but they want to invite them into a deeper conversation about purpose. How, mm. what, how do we want to live our lives? How do we how do we use the financial tools that we have uh, to to have the experiences that we want and to leave the world in a better place and to leave our family uh, in a better, stronger place uh, a generation from now than where we currently are. So, so I think intent is a big is a big component. I think the ability and the willingness to listen is, is a key component. Uh, vulnerability, but also really opening up to shared decision making. I, I think is is critical. At what age are you starting to see wealth creators who are successful in allowing other people and and being flexible with their own vision? What age do you see that the kids are when that tends to happen? I think. I mean, we have we have some clients who want to start working with their kids at, when they're in middle school uh, or high school to start teaching uh, uh, different tools. But really, it is parents can start integrating this education in in stages. And uh, my experience is that a, a lot of people who create successful companies are really good at creating a company and specific to what they're doing. And I think for a lot of folks, the wealth almost becomes accidental. Um, that suddenly after a lifetime of success, they've generated quite a bit uh, of wealth that's gonna benefit their family and may not have the tools, maybe all, the, the tools that were effective in creating a business are not the same tools that are effective in creating a really healthy, successful family. And a lot of families that come to matter come mainly because they're worried about their kids. Uh, how do I make sure my kids have a good, fruitful life? How do I make sure that, uh, that they're not sidetracked by the wealth or, um, or they're not hindered by it in some way. Um, but basically, how do I make sure it doesn't mess them up? <laughs> that's, like, that, that's where a lot of parents come from. How do I make sure it doesn't mess them up? Uh, and, and we have a, a, quite a bit of tools, again, that Matter has built um, over a few decades uh, to not only keep that from happening, but to really empower a, a next generation uh, that once they have access uh, uh, to, to wealth of, uh, that's been given to them or, or access to, to working with the family company, they're ready and prepared to do that in a way that's going to benefit everyone. So let's talk about one other issue that I would imagine can create some fracture or create at least a shift in a family and that's when we bring in in-laws because it's one thing to grow up under somebody's tutelage about wealth and what their sense of stewardship is it's another thing to marry into that 
and to try and identify with that family. Do you do you see that as a pretty ripe time to begin this work when the in-laws are starting to filter into a family? Oh, big time. Uh, because it, it allows families that opportunity to think, what defines a family? Um, who, who is a family member? Is it just the people that are born in or is it the people, or is it all of us? And uh, we have this great program uh, at Matter uh, called Being a Welcoming Family. And ideally what we like to do with our families is begin to generate this conversation with them before there is a specific significant other in the picture. So if, if a family has kids who are, you know, in their mid twenties, it's the ideal time because that way it's mm -hmm. not specifically about one person which can get tricky, it is who are we as a family? And again, if, if we own a business together or if we have family meetings, who's eligible to come to the family meetings? Who, who gets to sit at the table? Um, and then generally by the time there is a, a significant other in the picture, the family has already got their plan in place and it makes it a, more of a seamless welcoming environment for, for that next person coming in. That's great. That's great. So back to, I'm flip-flopping back from matter to priest. Um, are there times when you would really encourage a parishioner who comes to you with an issue to seek outside of your counsel? All the time. Uh, okay. Because, like, as a as a as an Episcopal priest, or or really any kind of uh, religious figure, if you're in a uh, if you're in a pastoral role, it, it's a very sacred role, uh, and you you get to see a part of individuals or a part of families that most other people don't. Mm -hmm. Because of that it's very easy for a lot of people to see their pastor as uh, kind of as a therapist um, uh, or somebody in that, in that helping role. And it's really important for a pastor to know their boundaries and what they, are, what they are and are not trained to do and what they are and are not able to do. In the Episcopal Church, we have this uh, really valuable tradition that even in the bylaws and the, in the canons of the Episcopal Church, clergy are not allowed to um, have more than three pastoral meetings with a parishioner over one issue before referring them out. Um, so a great example of that is, um, you know, a couple might come to me about uh, marital issues. I can see them up to three times. Uh, but then at the end of that, say, I, I would really encourage you to see a marriage and family therapist. Um, and most clergy too, because of their role in the community, end up developing relationships with, with different people in the helping professions uh, in their community. So again, if it was a couple coming to me, I could say, here are three marriage and family therapists I know really well I'd, I'd really invite you to, to reach out to them. I'd be happy to help, help you do that. 
Uh, if it's somebody with an addiction issue, again, uh, getting them in touch with somebody uh, uh, who, who's professionally trained and, and much more able than, than me as their pastor to help them do that. And, and then along with that therapist, I can then continue checking in with them uh, just to ask them how they're doing in their life. And, uh, but that's more from the pastoral role than the, than the clinical role. That makes complete sense. And I really do appreciate the clarity of the church to indicate when a referral needs to be made, because it's really hard to know sometimes when you are being helpful and when you are going over your ski tips a little bit. It's a hard lesson. So I like the clarity. So Luke, we're about to wrap up. What didn't I ask you today that you would like our audience to know? Oh, gosh. Um, well, just something about me. I'm so interested in helping families uh, and, and really helping families to thrive. And, and for a lot of people who knew me uh, as, as kind of the, the rector, senior pastor of the church, and now know me uh, working in a financial firm, a lot of them get it, like the, the connection between these two roles. Um, for me, it's almost accidental that I'm working for a multifamily office. It's just another unique way uh, to, to help families, I think in a very powerful way. Um, one of the things that I think is, is interesting is especially when it comes to wealth, um, there's so much negativity in our culture uh, toward, toward the wealthy. And mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the people that, not a lot, every family that we work with uh, are families who generally care about one another. Uh, they want to make a difference in their family. They want to make a difference in, in the world around them. Uh, and, and they want to make a difference with, with all the people that are in their uh, kind of broader circle or influence of care. And, it, and it's a wonderful gift to be able to help them do that and to be able to work with a, an entire team of people uh, who are really committed to it. That's beautiful. Well, thank you again for joining. You have been listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Today's guest was Luke Jernigan from the Matter Family Office. If you like this episode, please check that box or click that button on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.